Hey there, this is Yaro, and welcome to Vested Capital, episode number 29, featuring my guest, Arthur Menard, the CEO and co-founder of LAMS. Vested Capital is a podcast about how people make money and put their capital to work. I interview startup founders, angel investors, venture capitalists, crypto and stock traders, real estate investors, and leaders in technology. So I don't know if you're aware of the company Lambs. It's a clothing company that initially started by providing men's underwear with a material in it that would protect the body from radiation, in particular cell phone radiation or wireless uh, radiation. I actually came across this product. I'm not sure when, it was a couple of years ago, and I bought some of the underwear um, as a health conscious person and, and someone who already uh, put my phone onto airplane mode whenever I would wear it on my body. This was a product I understood and it made sense to me. You know, fast forward to a couple of weeks ago and we get a booking for my company Inbox Done to do a discovery call with the co-founder and CEO of Lambs. And I was like, oh, that's exciting. This is a, a company I know and a product I bought from. And I actually brought a pair of my underwear with me when we did the discovery call, you know, over Zoom just to show the founder that I have some of his underwear. So we had a bit of chuckle about that. But then I was surprised, as Arthur goes on to tell me during this discovery call, that he actually listened to this podcast, I don't know, something about 10 years ago. Obviously, it had a different name back then. It was the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast, but it was still me doing it. And it was one of the places where he got inspired to start his very first business, which you will hear about in this interview. He was in the online education space, helping students get better at studying, and he actually had a, an online course that he sells and it still sells today incredibly it's a hundred percent automated business so you'll hear about how he set that up and why he decided to get into the education space as his first business and you also hear about arthur's next business which was in the app space so they created an app called one app and when i say they it's himself and his brother and you'll hear about this it's very french orientated and arthur is from paris that's where he was born and it was basically an app that serviced the bakeries in france providing you know various sort social media related marketing support for bakeries and small businesses in France. You'll hear that story and how they grew that company, a lot of manual door-to-door -door knocking to get customers with that one, which then eventually led to today's uh, main topic, which is Lambs, the company that Arthur is co-founder and still running over uh, eight-figure business, thousands of customers around the world. They're not just doing men's underwear. There's women's underwear. There's shirts. There's, in Canada, they call it a torque. Or in Australia, they call it a beanie. You put it on your head. So another way to protect yourself from radiation. And that's the idea. It's all health-conscious clothing to protect you from the elements, uh, not just the uh, weather elements, but the radiation coming from all of the technical devices we have around us all the time. I think you'll like this interview, especially if you're looking to create a physical product and basically invent something new, which is what Arthur had to do. Um, he'll share the story of how he came up with the idea and how he manufactured the very first version of his product. So that will be interesting if you want to do something similar. So make sure you stay tuned for that. So before I press play on the conversation I had with Arthur, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Inbox Done, the company that Arthur booked in for a discovery call that eventually led to this podcast being recorded in the first place. Inbox Done is a company that provides virtual executive assistance to take over your email, doing replies to your messages, organizing your email, managing your email, your calendar booking and scheduling. So all the conversations around bookings and meetings and gathering information and making sure the timing is right. Basic admin tasks. So if you have anything to do with customer service, data entry, any kind of software updates, communicating with the rest of your team, basically what you would expect an executive assistant to do. 
but is especially qualified with superior communication skills, which we find is necessary to handle something as personal and private as important as email, which is definitely the specialization of Inbox Done. So if you're drowning in email messages, if you want someone to take over managing your calendar and you just need that right-hand person to kind of clone you, Inbox Done is the service for you. You can go to inboxdone.com, book a discovery call, tell us about your needs, what kind of business you're in, and then we can begin the process to match you with two of our assistants who you then work with them directly. They're dedicated to you and they become part of your team and basically they go to work to simplify and make your life a whole lot easier and free you up, get you at least a couple of hours back each day. That's inboxdone.com. Okay, let's begin today's episode. Hello, Arthur. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yaro, it's a pleasure to be here. So a little bit of serendipity how this podcast came together. I did not expect to a meet you through the, the way we met. Then I was also surprised to find out that we had a connection in the past. You had read my blog. And perhaps you were surprised to know that I had purchased some of your underwear from your company, <laughs> Get Lambs, or Lambs as it's known, which uh, for those who don't know, Lambs is a company that provides, well, at least when I bought my underwear, it was just underwear that protects you from uh, the, the Wi-Fi signals, the phone signals, all the radiation going around. I remember when I was looking at the, I think it was a Facebook ad I must have seen for your company at the time, maybe Instagram. I'm not sure where I came across it, but you're probably everywhere. And this is a few years ago. And I, I remember going, this makes a lot of sense. Creating clothing that blocks what our laptops and our phones and our computers are emitting appealed to me. I've always been one of those people that was, you know, I didn't like to put my phone on my back pocket 100% of the time. Like I put it on airplane mode whenever I'm putting it near my body, you know, that sort of daily habit. Um, so I'd love to hear the, the, the story of how you came up with this idea and how do you even build underwear that blocks radiation like that. You are the co-founder and CEO of LAMB, so we can talk about that. We'd love to dive into your background as well, but just for a kind of a summary of where LAMS is at today, do you want to talk a little bit about you know how successful the company is? Yeah, sure. So LAMS is uh, actually the first kind of company of its kind uh, of the world, which is health enhancing apparel. So we've designed LAMS and all of its products with one thing in mind, which is how can we help our customers on their health and wellness journey to be healthier without having to change their habits. So we started off with wireless radiation, then added a few things. Our t-shirts are UPF 50, which means that they block 98 98 plus percent of UV rays as well. So really trying to remove as many external stresses as possible from the body. It's an eight-figure company. We have tens of thousands of clients here in the US, but also all around the world. I don't know if you were in Canada when you bought or still in Australia. I was probably in Australia yeah, when I bought them. Or roaming around Europe. Maybe. Maybe Canada. <laughs> Who knows? I was somewhere around the world. <laughs> yeah. And it's growing really, really fast, which is awesome. And it's uh, it's a pretty amazing journey. And just to go back to your intro of, uh, of serendipity, I was listening to this very podcast almost 10 years ago when I had my first job, actually. So I was driving an hour every day to get to work an hour to get back and just listening to the amazing stories of people on, the, on your podcast. So it's uh, it's pretty awesome for me to be able to share mine here. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm excited to share your story. And I love hearing from a long-term listener 10 years ago is a long time ago. I feel like there's a bit of a French internet marketing kind of mafia almost. Um, I don't know if you're part of it, but I know I have a friend, Alexis Santin. He was a person who came from France to Australia. I met him and then 
through him, I've uh, there's another person on my show called Aurelian Amaker who created System.io. He was a guest on the show. And then Olivia Rowland was an internet marketer I connected with many, many years ago. I had him on the show as well. And it, I felt like every time I spoke to a French person who was doing something online, they, they all knew each other. So is, is, I don't know what, you know, if you, if you, uh, when you left France, but is that kind of true? Is that sort of a strong community of, of entrepreneurs, online entrepreneurs in France? Yeah. So I met Olivier as well as Sebastian, which is an, another one of these uh, famous marketers in, in France a few years ago before leaving France. I think they did a great job at creating a very strong community and helping each other out. And yeah, I think they did a great job at trying to educate the market a little bit like you did like in 2000, when did you start? 2005, something like this. They were obviously France is a little behind in everything. <laughs> so it's, I think, uh, yeah, around uh, 2008, 2009 is when it is when these guys got started and, uh, and started to try and, and help the, the online community launching their own uh, courses and products. Yeah, they have definitely very strong ties together. And were you exposed to any of that back then? Or like, was there any connection to it? Or? A little bit. I mean, I followed their material early on, but then I quickly moved to actually the, the original source. So I'm more like the English-speaking American marketers. So the Americans, well, mostly you, to be honest, <laughs> consumed a lot of your materials. But yeah, you, who else was I following back then? Pat Flynn. Uh, was a big influence as well and uh and yeah awesome okay well let's continue this dive into your history so born and raised in france i'm, I'm assuming born and raised in paris paris okay parents any entrepreneurial influence there from your parents or so it's more when i grew up apparently according to my parents when uh every kid is going to tell you that they want to be a policeman or a firefighter or an astronaut or something like this all i had was ideas for businesses most of them were probably not great <laughs> but uh, growing up i knew that i wanted to build something um and this idea of innovation and building something from the ground up was very ingrained in uh, as i was growing up my grandfather was an entrepreneur and that might have come from him but both my parents uh, never studied any company but were very enthusiastic at the idea of me trying to to build something and to not necessarily follow the footsteps of the traditional and the traditional way uh, so they were very sporty from from early early age does that mean you had some kind of business as a teenager or or were you planning on you know studying business first no, I definitely did a bunch of things when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> what did I do? I was building websites. I had a whole uh, little ad thing running that um, was uh, funding my whatever I needed to purchase when I was a kid. So probably started this when I was 10 to 12 and throughout like middle school and high school, I was... Uh, uh, I was running ads on a bunch of websites that I had uh, designed and built. Definitely nothing that I'm proud of today <laughs> in terms of what, I, what was out there. It was mostly about, I can't remember what, like video games and uh, a bunch of different things. And uh, that was kind of my first dabble into uh, building stuff. Back then, not rebuilt not really built for money uh, to be perfectly transparent like it was mostly more like if i was passionate about something i'd build a website and a community around it and then put ads and on top of it and that's gonna but never try to optimize or or 
really make money of, of any sort with this aside from the pocket money that I was making. So I got a late start <laughs> in the real business world. <laughs> so in terms of your, your kind of studies, then if you were obviously aware of the internet, you knew how to build websites. So that already is a skill set that gives you an advantage. What was the, the path for you? Did you go to university and study something related to business or did you do something, you know, go straight into the workforce or what was the path? Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely studied. So I was, I, I've kind of always followed my passions in life, to be honest. And I was super interested in two things. Number one, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I knew I wanted a business component to what I was studying. And two, I've always been fascinated with human health. So very early on, aside from, from building businesses or innovation, uh, what have you, the other thing that I was super interested in was how can we optimize health and, Pretty early on, I've been exposed to people developing cancers um, and uh, friends of family dying from secondhand smoking. And that really had an impact on me on realizing that what the choices that I was making today uh, had, a, had an impact on, on my likelihood to be sick tomorrow. And I started educating myself in this space. And so I ended up doing two master's degrees, uh, one master's degrees in engineering and biology with a specific focus on uh, human health and biotechnologies, and uh, then completed this with an MBA shortly after to go a little bit deeper in the, um, in the business, on the business side. How much do you, how much of your MBA do you use in the real world? Not, <laughs> not a lot, uh, but, uh, but definitely... Uh, opened up a lot of doors and uh, and made great friends and, and great connections there. And a few of my buddies went went on to create amazing companies, which I'm really looking up to. So that was probably the best part. Oh, great. So you finish an MBA. What do you do next? Like, uh, is that a case of, oh, I'm going to be an academic. I'll just, you know, try and get work in a university or I'll go do research. Like, what, what were you thinking at the time? I honestly did it mostly because I knew it would really help in my entrepreneurial journey afterwards. So this MBA was actually, I majored in entrepreneurship, which is a weird major per se, but the the way the program was designed uh, was really designed in, uh, in a way that would kind of help us build our first company whilst at school, which is what I did except that it was my second company so I, I started my first real business when i was 20 during my first master's degree and then my second one whilst i was uh whilst i was at school uh, during my mba so i kind of have a habit of uh starting school and starting a business at the same time <laughs> okay how did those two businesses go and what were they so the very first one i'll, I'll go a little bit back in time for this one i started following i started when i was a kid looking into personal development pretty fascinated about this whole world of, uh, of, of bettering myself and, and trying to be on a journey of, of you know, just improvement and um, stumble upon one book, which you're probably very familiar with, which is The 4 Hours Work Week by Tim Ferriss. And this book had a massive impact on me when I was 18, 19 at the time in how I looked at the world. And uh, that's what propelled me to actually start my very first business. And I remember reading this book like, okay, well, what should you launch if you're like if you're if you're looking for a business idea? And I'm I'm like, yeah, I was nineteen years old back then or twenty and and I, I had no experience in life except, you know, like the traditional 
uh, traditional stuff, but for one thing, which is in France, if you want to get into the AV schools, uh, you have to do the equivalent of the SATs in the US after two years of very intense studies. And it's a competitive exam, and based on your ranking, you get into the best schools. So it's two years of your life that you're studying, uh, where you're studying super hardcore, and uh, and you have this one exam that kind of determines the rest of your life from an academic perspective. So uh, lots of pressure. And back then, uh, so I had just completed that, ranked very well, fortunately, and I was uh, tutoring kids to for specifically math and biology. And I realized that all of my time that I was spending tutoring those kids was spent mostly teaching them about how to work rather than how to math or, <laughs> or to do math or, or anything like this. And that kind of got me going on, well, I should probably create a course that teaches uh, students how to work more efficiently, uh, which is the which was the most important part. It's not about you have so much to learn and to, and to do that if you're not uh, organizing yourself properly, you're setting yourself up for failure and, uh, and for burnout, etc. So created this first course, started selling it, and then uh, realized quickly that it was not built the right way. Trashed everything, followed your blueprint back then, kind of rebuilt everything from the ground up. And uh, yeah, spent the next uh, two or three years uh, really just uh, exploring with this. So that's how I learned online ads. Uh, that's how I learned how to uh, write copy properly, uh, automation systems. So I had a whole Aweber that probably used your affiliate link uh, to, <laughs> to get this started. <laughs> I had a whole, yeah, Aweber sequence with upsells with uh, with all this. So it was, a, it was an amazing first experience to learn about online marketing. A lot has changed since then, but yeah, uh, and up to this day, the business is still going. It's uh, it's fully automated, not touching anything. Yeah, so that was my first experience with uh, with online marketing, and that was kind of the only thing I knew back then was okay. Well, I've, I've studied hard for two years, and I can teach other kids how to do this. And I think uh, with this, I helped somewhere around 10,000 students. I don't have the latest numbers because as I said I haven't touched that in in a couple of years, but uh that was a that was a great first uh first venture into into this world. Yeah, it sounds so good. You, why did you stop or you didn't stop it? You let it go in automatic mode, but did you just want to try something different so you just let that run itself and and start something new? So, I was always wanted to do something a little bigger as well. So, the biggest limitation for this was the market size which is there are about the, the there are 40 or 80,000 students that go this route uh, every year which is quite a lot of students but at the same time that's kind of the market limitation and it's a tough business in the sense that you spend a lot of time trying to acquire your customer uh, which is in your pool for two years two to three years and then they're gone and they're starting their life at university and you don't have anything else to sell them so you have a very short period of time where your customers are actually potential where your prospects are actual prospects and then they're gone forever and even your customers once you acquire them um, i didn't have any upsell afterwards like once you're in university once you're in you're in so that was really the biggest limitation of the business when it came to, when it came to growth and then there is the reality behind it which is after a few years I was not really passionate about this anymore. Mostly, like, this was another part of my life that, you know, like, I was not a student anymore. Like, I was 
not a student of this specific. It's called prepa. I was not a prepa student uh, anymore, and I had not been for a few years. And so at some stage, it just became something that I'm not sure I could really build the best the best products out there anymore because I I wasn't I wasn't part of the of this world in, for quite a while. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. It's a common story. I think I've had the same idea where I'm like, I want to do something bigger. I'm no longer interested in this industry. But you were still studying when you started your second one. So what was the idea for that one? So the second one was a B2B company. So realized, I realized, I, I, I can't really remember the, the full like aha moment for this one. But I think it was actually a, a marketing class where we were starting to look at... Um, social media specifically and how big companies are using social media to uh, create a stronger connection with their clients and uh, just awareness with them uh, at all times. In France, you have a bunch of uh, small businesses, especially in the food and beverage industry. So you have a lot of bakeries uh, specifically. You have a lot of uh, meat shops. You have a lot of flower shops, etc. So lots of small businesses that are are struggling to to face the big, you know, the Walmarts of the world in France. And back then, I started going and chatting with uh, with those guys and realized that they had a whole, or all of them had heard about social media. All of them were super interested in um, communicating with their clients there, uh, letting them know about the behind the scenes of how do you make a baguette of uh, the products coming for holidays, et cetera, et cetera. Yet none of them knew how to use it. Or if they did, they definitely didn't have time because they are already so busy running the whole shop and uh, making the products and everything that goes with it. And so the second company that I built was aimed at solving this. We were trying to help small businesses to gain visibility with uh, social media without having to put in as much work and making it super simple for them. So we built a whole app for... Uh, for this market so that we they could use it very, very simply and be through a guided uh, journey, be able to spend 10 minutes and plan out the next couple of weeks in terms of posts with the kind of posts that they needed to create explained um, and the whole thing super guided. So I built this with my brother and our main beta tester was our grandmother. Uh, essentially, we're like, okay, she doesn't know anything <laughs> about how to use a phone, how to use the internet. And we're going and, and we're having her try the app and uh, kind of tweaked it till she could actually use it. And she was like, okay, I understand. That's easy. And we're like, all right, we, <laughs> we got it nailed down. <laughs> and yeah, and then our first customers were bakeries. We started going door to doors to bakeries, uh, trying to sell them the software. We built this on a SaaS model, which has always been my favorite models of all times, where you acquire a customer once, and hopefully if you do your job well, they stay forever. And I believe that our very first customer is still with us today, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Wow. So what's the name of this business? This is OneApp. One app. Okay. So that's, that's, if I'm looking at your, your profile on LinkedIn, that's the other besides Lambs, obviously your current business. One app is, is still your, your present you know, company. You're like a board member. So, and method prepa, I see you are still listed there as a founder too. So it sounds like you build a business. You don't, you know, shut it down or sell it. You, you let one continue to run automatically. What happened with One App? Did it grow 
to the point where you could retire young and rich? Like, how did that go? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to retire. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, my idea of retirement is to do what I love to do. And if that's what it is, then I've been retired my whole life, <laughs> in a sense. It's a good way of putting it. I agree, Arthur. But how well did, how did one app go? It's obviously still going now, seven years later. So what's the growth story there? Yeah, so it went very well, actually. I was building this uh, on the side during my MBA, and I think we grew the, the team to close to 10 people very, very quickly. Um, and we grew to a point where what it became was, okay, well, we either need to go after other markets internationally, or we we need to figure out like uh, a, a different path for the company to, to get past the, the ceiling of, of just the nature of the market. Is that because you ran out of bakeries or you just ran out of every type of business, small business in France? Because a lot of businesses <laughs> in France, I would have thought you'd yeah. have a, a never-ending stream there. No, for sure, for sure. Uh, we, we, were, um, we were focusing on, on bigger cities, mostly, and just due to the nature that the the business limitation was that with this type of businesses, it's a lot of uh, personal relationship that you need to develop. So they're very happy to use your product, but they want to meet you in person first. They want you to go and train them and explain them how it works. And so the limitation that we uh, grew into was, okay, well, we can only do, if that's how it's going to work, we can't do uh, cities that are like three, four, five hours away. And we need to make sure that in one given day, uh, when we're going out to meet these people, um, our, our prospect, our clients, that we're able to optimize the day. So that kind of limited very quickly um, where we could go and uh, and how we could grow there. And so the business still grew to do, uh, we were doing six figures essentially. But based off this, that was kind of the limitation as to how big we could grow it. And you, you didn't want to like get a, a sales team to kind of go door to door and just you know, pay them on commission so or something we, like that. Ooh, hello, <laughs> this is what it. Uh, <laughs> so this is what we grew originally, and but again, like the the challenge was, we could only have a sales team in areas where it made sense to have where we had enough bakeries, enough clients to really make it work. Otherwise, the commission would would be. I mean, just from a economics perspective you still need to pay people minimum wages in france uh, even if they're a sales team and just based off minimum wages plus commission etc it only made sense in big cities and th this is what we did so we we built it to to this point and and now we're thinking okay well uh we've kind of saturated the big cities in france do we go to other countries like how how do we run this and at this stage I'm also at a point where I want something that, like the idea that I had for my career was I wanted to launch a business where I could impact millions of people. Um, and so the B2B SaaS was awesome from a business perspective and from an experience perspective. But I was like, I, I would love to go and do something that really, where I can really impact a lot more people and this is the discussion that i had then with my brother which was like okay well i'm this is awesome what we built but i i don't want to continue on building this abroad because um because honestly i just want a, a change of scenario so he took the reins of the business and um he's a little bit younger than i am so he was pretty happy not to have me uh, in his hair uh, <laughs> to, to grow this and that that worked out pretty well and uh so he took the reins 
I stayed on just to help out with the strategy, and I went on to, to create lamps. Um, that was uh, that was the moment where I was like, okay, well, if I'm for the next one, I want something. Kind of learned from the two businesses, and I was like, okay, I want something where I've got a huge market size. And I want something where I'm really passionate about what I'm building so that in a few years from now, I don't have this feeling of like, well, I'm not a student anymore. Therefore, like I'm not connected to my market. And so that's the that's how I knew that Lambs was the right fit when I when I when I started it, because I was like, OK, I, I can be in there for 10 years. That's that's my like 20 years. It, it's all good. No, no pun intended there with the right fit. Interesting evolution you've got. So you were an education marketer and I can see why connecting with my work and and Pat Flynn would lead you down that kind of path. Then an app, which is a little more tricky because it's software and then you're doing like door-to-door sales, which is, you know, different from selling a a digital information product, uh, you know, with email marketing and so on. And then now you say, I'm going to do something completely different, physical. I mean, not completely different because it is online, but you are selling a physical item how do you begin that kind of business? Like, did you have any understanding of like, how do you manufacture underwear? Plus the added aspect of this, and I'd love to know too, how you even came up with the technology for that, that lambs idea in, in the first place. Yeah. So I can walk you through how the idea came about first. So again, Aside from entrepreneurship, one of my big thing was um, health optimization. So I was reading countless books on the topic. I studied human biology, et cetera, et cetera. So one thing that I realized one day um, as we're having, so we're having dinner with friends and all of us take their cell phones out of their of our pockets and we all put it on the table face down. And that prompted a discussion, which was, okay, well, We've all heard about the fact that we probably shouldn't put our cell phones in our pockets next to our next to our reproductive organs, and yet we're all doing this on a daily basis. And um, so this was the moment where I was like, "That's interesting." So we are, we're I'm pretty health conscious. Uh, most of my friends are. We're watching uh, what we're eating. We're watching what we're putting inside our bodies, but we're not really watching what we're exposing our bodies to. And what kind of external stressors is there out there and how bad are they? And so looked into wireless radiation specifically, realized that it's a class 2B human carcinogen, which is the same uh, as uh, car exhaust fumes, um, according to the World Health Organization. And that was the haha moment where I was like, okay, if there was a car running in my bedroom or my living room at all times, <laughs> I'd probably not be staying there. And this is effectively what I'm doing with wireless radiation, except that I can't smell it in this specific case. But it's it is impacting my my, my body. And so that's what prompted me to start looking into can we create can, can we create something uh, that solves this problem and that helps us essentially monitor what we're exposing our bodies to? Looked into solutions that's already existed, and it turns out that NASA spacesuits have a built-in radiation-proof technology because astronauts in space are exposed to a ton of cosmic radiations. I, one of my friend, one of my good friend, is an incredible engineer. He's got a ton of patents under his belt, um, and he really has this beautiful mind of, of of creating solutions whenever problems exist so i we sat down we went through his creative process of how can we use the same principle uh the same technology but adapt it for uh for garments and it, are garments even the, the best thing uh it turns out that it is and uh how can we how can we adapt it so 
spent quite a bit of time back then he was uh, completing his phd we had access to a lab and yeah just got started with uh, iterations of, uh, uh, of of fabric to try and create something that would actually block wireless radiation I didn't know anything about creating a physical product. Our very first product was terrible, <laughs> absolutely terrible. But what I did know was how to how to sell something on the internet. And so he was focused on building the product. And um, he's not part of the company. He has a he has a share um, of, of of the company. He's someone who doesn't want to operate a business. So he loves to create technologies, etc. But he. He's more of a, he's definitely an inventor for sure. So he owns, he owns equity in the company for, for, for creating the technology. But as he's, uh, as he's iterating on, on versions of the product, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to sell the thing online? And how can I get this off the ground with A, testing market and B, spending, uh, I mean, how do I optimize uh, my spending essentially? So back then, uh, Kickstarter uh, had been a thing for, for uh, a few years now. So looked into equity crowdfunding, uh, spent about six months to create our first campaign, and that's how we got started. We just did a very, uh, we did a campaign with zero marketing budget, essentially letting our friends and family know, and uh, from there, word of mouth, uh, word of mouth grew, and uh, it grew enough to for us to start our first batch of product manufactured in a proper factory, and uh, as I said, pretty pretty terrible product at the beginning because we didn't know anything about how to make garments but you know got us going and uh and we got we gathered feedback and we grew the business essentially with this initial uh input of money which was um, our first crowdfunding and it was pretty small like it was twenty twenty five thousand dollars something like this but that was enough to get us going um to get a first production batch start selling uh the product get more uh get more money in the bank and and and, and kind of get the ball rolling like this that was men's underwear so i was kind of scratching my own itch in a sense and uh so so yeah that's how we got uh that's how we funded the company and then fast forward a few months later there's an event here in the u.s called uh ces the consumer electronic show it's a massive event uh where companies go and present their latest uh, inventions and innovations in, in in the technology world for consumers and so we back then our new product is underwear we reach out to the ces they have a special startup program where you can go there for i think it's like a thousand dollars for for a booth it's uh it's nothing but they have to select you they love the idea and and they, they got us a booth in their in their startup um, uh, pavilion and uh we we went there and we're like okay we're we're literally spending all of our money going to las vegas to this consumer electronic show back then we're based out of france there are flights there are all the costs associated with the conference hotels etc we're literally spending our, our entire budget on this but we're like this is the one place where if anything we should pick up a lot of traction and we will have people um, become aware or aware of what, what we're doing so it's our one shot and we don't want to miss it so we brainstorm on how can we get maximum exposure. And uh, the way we did it was we went there, uh, we had t-shirts on, which explained what we were doing, uh, and no pants. So <laughs> we walked around this conference, uh, essentially uh, <laughs> essentially in our underwear, 
got a ton of attention. It was pretty awesome. So we had like a ton of journalists. I remember this journalist, I think she was from ABC News or something. She's on her way to some interview. She sees us. She turns around with her grammar crew. She's like, nope, we're going this way. <laughs> so, kind of paid off to, to, to play on this because we ended up being the number one startup in terms of exposure uh, that year. They had like uh, the, C- the CS at this tool that was monitoring the internet for keywords and, uh, and the name of the company just kept popping up everywhere. I have a question actually, Arthur. I have two questions, but I got to ask one now. Lambs, where did the name come from in the first place? Yeah. Originally, we started the company with a different name. And the number one question that we were getting from our customers, given the fact that uh, it is health-enhancing apparel that is protective and um, it's made out of silver fibers. I'm not sure if you can see properly on the camera. But the very first question that we were getting was, is that comfortable? Or is it going to be like a chainmail type of garment? Because, you know, and uh, and we took a... We, we, we took, a lot of time trying to figure out like how to create something that'd be as comfortable if not more comfortable than than a traditional garment and so we decided to rename the company with a name that would that would really feel that that would really scream comfort and so lambs uh there was this idea of like a coat of wool of a lamb that is a uh, very protective but soft and, and comfy what was the first name of the company, the original name. The first name was Spartan. <laughs> the first name was Spartan. So Spartan. Comp- Spartan. Spartan. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So okay. when can I can I the other way? Uh, completely in terms of in terms of naming, and also Lamps was. I mean, the idea for the company was obviously to go broader than Spartan. Originally, was to kind of appeal to manliness, um, which doesn't really work for women <laughs> and we do have a women line today uh so yeah yeah makes sense okay all right so back to the ces story you're the number one startup in terms of exposure at this event but what does that actually mean for a business because it sounds like you spent your 25 grand kickstarter money um, which was meant to i assume go to manufacture the first batch to then send to all those backers as well so does that ces exposure lead to more investors or retailers buying your product or, or like how does it play out yeah so we had already manufactured the product we we had already sent the products to our backers back then we also had some seed money that we had put in into the company uh, ourselves and so that's that's actually what we spent mostly so we we had products we had products we had inventory we had already delivered on our kickstarter so what what it did is one sells <laughs> so we sold out of all of our current inventory which was great and 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 uh got some cash flow in the company and two as you said that allowed us to go out to investors now with something more so when creating something with the i mean our end goal is to become the number one closing brand in the world for health conscious people so definitely a very a very big vision and so we realized quickly that we're going to need help and we're going to need external investors if we want to grow the business the challenge you have when you're a kid, I mean, I, I, I had built a couple of businesses, but on, on this one, essentially, we had, aside from the product and, and this first uh, campaign, we didn't have any anything to really show to investors. And this was really helpful in the sense that, yes, this is interesting, like, this is picking up interest in the world, but also, and mostly, it's like, we can get stuff done, like, 
uh, you can trust us as a team. And back then, it's it's me and my co-founder, so we're like <laughs> we're we're two people. But it's like, yeah, we'll get an underwear. We'll get we'll, we'll we've got brain juice, and and we can show you what we did so far. And that was very helpful in convincing people to that we were the right team to take this forward and, and to grow this. And uh, and that's how we, we were able to convince our first investors. Okay, so two questions on that. How did you you meet your co-founder, and and like what are the skill sets? Because this is not a, a software startup, so to speak. You know, it's a it's a DTC, direct to consumer product. I understand the need for the inventor, but like you said, he didn't continue on as a an active founder. I know your skill, Arthur. You're the marketing guy, so I get what you bring to the table. You would have been, you know, ready to put out all the ads and do the SEO and and whatever you can to growth hack this company. What was your co-founder needed for? Yeah, operations mostly, and someone who I was essentially looking for someone who had a very different personality from me. So I'm very creative. I can come up with different strategies. I. I can build a vision for the future and i need someone who is very very regular very talented at, at taking something and, and operating essentially and i met my co-founders through online ads <laughs> so <laughs> i put an ad for someone and it, it was interesting because the I, I essentially wanted to recruit someone back then i i mean i have a, a lot of friends that would fit the bill but um, they were all working on something at, at the time. The natural thing that came for me was like, okay, well, I'm going to recruit someone. Probably the most unappealing ad, which essentially I said, well, you need to invest money to uh, get into the business because I wanted someone who was serious about it, not, you know, like, oh, that sounds interesting. So my co-founder, Thomas, was the last applicant out of probably I had 200 people who replied to this ad. Where did you put the ad? Just like as a job on LinkedIn or? Traditional job busting. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. essentially. Something like Indeed. Yeah, had about 200 applicants. Thomas was the very last one to apply because after 200, I was like, I need to shut this off. Like, <laughs> this is... Got the first phone call with him as I'm riding a bicycle to go meet one of the applicants, actually. And during this phone call, I'm like, there's something about this guy. Like, he he seems to be super smart. And uh, so I built a process um, to kind of go through uh, skill sets. Um, I'm a big, big fan of having people do something uh, instead of just interviewing them. And uh, Thomas's uh, case study was 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 really stellar. What was interesting as well is again, like I said, like uh, I was asking him to invest money to buy equity into the business so that I know I knew he would be serious about it. He had just had his first kid back then as well and and yeah and there is this guy who just had his first kid who's like i'm gonna quit my job i'm gonna invest money and i'm gonna get this off the ground with you who's super smart who just did a stellar case study and uh yeah we're super well paired and we've been working great together since then and he has to look good in underwear if you're going to walk around uh, the trade show floor is wearing <laughs> underwear right so <laughs> he looks great <laughs> <laughs> so then you decide to raise some funding and I can totally understand why it's a physical product. It's You have to do that dance where you, you sell a bunch, you get some cash, but you have to use that cash to manufacture the next and so on. So how do you raise money for this and what kind of valuation and what are you looking for during that first raise? Because I'm assuming that was also the first time you ever raised money for your own startup at this level. I mean, raising money is tough. Uh, first off. So it's a, it's a massive dance with investors. It's a very interesting... It's a very interesting exercise because it's all about social proof. Uh, essentially, the first investors that you meet, they're potentially interested. 
but they want to see like, okay, do you have other investors? And you're like, oh, I'm talking with a bunch of interested people. It's like, okay, let me know when, uh, what's the update? Like, has anyone invested yet? So uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting exercise where you learn to essentially, you, you need to find some, this first person who's going to make the decision. And, um, and yeah, so what happened is shortly after the CES, we actually had a first investor who contacted us uh, through my schools. Um, I've got someone who reaches out and he's like, hey, my, my father, he's, he's the CEO of this big like uh, fabric company. And, um, and he'd love to talk to you because he thinks that's super interesting. We meet with that person. Uh, he wants to invest back then uh, two or $300,000 uh, into the business. But he has one specific requirement, which is uh, I want to be the sole investor in the business. I don't want any co-investors, and and that's it. And back then, when you're just getting started, like getting an infusion of cash of three hundred thousand sounds like wow, this is absolutely awesome. And I'm chatting with the partner of a VC fund who essentially was she was. She she's super bright as well. Um, I I really admire her, and she was uh, she essentially walked me through the numbers, and she was like, "If you're taking this money right now as a sole investor, there is no way that you're going to be able to grow the company to a point where either you don't need any money anymore, or you can raise more capital, because this is just not enough to get you to your next stage." Kind of walked me through this. I realized that uh, with her, uh, thanks to her, went back to that guy. Um, started talking about well actually like here's how much it's going to take like here's the updated business model and if you want to be the sole investor that's fine but then you need to put in twice as much or uh, we're going to need other investors he went on to (laughs) try and fund a copycat of us which was which was pretty funny uh we have patents we have patent protection on um on our technology but that never stopped anyone and so we had a copycat that started uh, a few months later that he funded that was the very first guy that we discussed with so the copycat today is dead (laughs) so uh, so at least i mean on, on, on this end um that didn't really work out for him. But we went on to find amazing investors looking mostly for smart money at the beginning. Uh, I mean, actually, we've always done that. Um, And uh, trying to find people in the space. So our investors were all coming either from the health and wellness world or from the apparel world. And this was really instrumental for us. Um, So later on, we today have the former president of Lululemon, who's an investor and advisor uh, to the company. And we have uh, quite a few people who are in, in, in the apparel space as well. And that really helped us build a product that was much better than the original one. Uh, where we're like, well, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> so we knew, uh, we knew how to sell products online. Uh, we knew how to uh, create this technology, but we didn't know anything about making garments, about uh, logistics, about all of this. So, so yeah, we did this dance. We convinced the first person to write us. Our first check was... Seven point five thousand dollars, you know, like. Uh, but at least it got it got the ball rolling, and then we got a ten thousand dollars check, and then we got a twenty thousand dollars check, and uh, and slowly but surely we we were able to put together a round uh, and uh, and raise our first round of equity, which was which was close to a million bucks, and uh, and which was got topped off by a little bit of government money as well. We got a grant for four hundred k. So how have you managed to grow to the point you are today? Like, what's what's worked well for you? Well, uh, first off, word of mouth. So for us, that's always been the biggest, the 
biggest channel. We really focused early on on trying to figure out if we had product market fit, which is do people do people repurchase our products? And especially with something like NAMS, uh, it's a decision that you're making, which is, okay, well, I, I care about my health and I care about this and I want to take this step of like uh, wearing health enhancing apparel, wearing something that protects me from isolation from UV, etc. When you're making that choice, in theory, you should be making that choice for every day of the week, not like, oh, I'm going to buy one and that's it. So very interesting aspect for us was like monitoring, okay, are people repurchasing the product? Um, and so we spent a lot of time at the beginning working on the product to make it good enough that people would want to actually switch out to, to lamps fully. And, and then the second piece is we're touching something that is a very important value for people, health. And so as much as I don't really share which socks I'm wearing, because I don't really care enough, like something that I do for my health, I'm going to share with the people that are important and close to me. And so that's something that we really tried uh, early on to to make work for us, which was, okay, can are people going to be telling their friends and family uh, about lamps? So that was the very first one was, okay, uh, let's make sure that we have a product that people want to talk about. And then and then the second piece was online uh, online ads, which is probably how you found us. And this was a skill set that I learned to develop uh, back in, in my Meta Prepa day, uh, days, which today is such a different landscape from what it was a few years ago, where you could go and, and you had profitable ads super easily and whatnot. For us, it was, uh, it was not like this at the beginning, so we had to kind of learn how this had evolved in, in recent years. And I would say the biggest difference is our... Very early on, our first employee is someone that I actually met whilst uh, traveling the world. I, I did a one-year stint where I went around the world before starting LAMS, actually. Uh, met this guy who is the smartest engineer I've ever met and um, who joined the company as our very first employee. And what was instrumental for us is having someone technical on board from the get-go so that we could iterate very quickly on our website and get precise data. So compared to any starting business, uh, we had a ton more data and we had the ability to go and iterate without you know, spending tens of thousands of dollars on a freelancer for every website edit. And we were focused on one thing when looking at online ads was like, okay, the end of the funnel is going to be our website. So how do we make sure that the website is as clear as possible and converts? And so we went on to increase our conversion rate uh, threefold uh, before we actually really spent money on online ads. Um, and we did this via A-B testing all the time, uh, sending minimal traffic, but monitoring everything, doing a lot of focus groups with people on like, is this clear? Do you understand what we're doing, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, through this, we were able to first fine tune the end of the funnel and then finally send people over to the website once we knew that we had something that was crystal clear, that was converting, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And to this date, we keep on iterating. Just launched a new version of the website uh, recently, which is uh, performing even better than the old one. This is something that is very ingrained into what we're doing, which is constant, uh, constant experiments. But yeah, if I had to point it down to one, like our success to one factor was like very, very early on focusing on these important metrics, which was, okay, are people getting what we're doing? Wow. Yeah, that's very smart for 
such an early phase. Normally, people do that later on, I think, to, to really start at the beginning. Um, if people want to see the website, obviously, getlambs.com. They could go see your your most recent version, like you just said, the new version. I know we got to kind of start wrapping it up. My fault. I have to run this time. Uh, Arthur, what is a day in the life like for you now? Because I know, obviously, you were the co-founder with just your one co-founder. You were the one at the event. You were the one wearing the product. You were the one probably writing the copy, running the ads. Now, it's a like you said, an eight-figure business. You've got thousands of customers. I'm guessing you don't do the same roles as you did back then. So what what's a day in the life for you with the business? Yeah, it, it is very different from what I was doing back then. We now have a team, so which are taking care of various aspects of, of, of the company. I spent most of my time uh, doing three things. One, working with my team, making sure that we're working on the, on the right stuff, that it's going in the right direction. And they're amazing. And, and the company would not be anywhere close to where we're at today without their hard work so you know just making sure that they're they stay motivated that and that this is going the right way so management and and, and leadership if you will two is i spend a lot of time exchanging with our customers actually via email or trying to get on the phone with them uh, as often as i can but we're an online business and contrary to retail you, where you have someone or, or service where you're directly working with your clients. In our case, we don't see them unless uh, we actively try to reach out to them, which is what we do. And that allows me to better understand our audience, etc. And that goes on to the third part, which is um, the strategy. So constantly working on where are we going? How can we get there more efficiently? Speaking with all those CEOs in the space and really building this network, uh, speaking with our investors, speaking with as many people as I, as I can to better understand our space, better understand our clients, and keep on building uh, the division for next month, next quarter, next year, next five years, etc. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's a it's a super. One thing that was fascinating in, in in this journey was the moment where you transition from running your own business where it's you to actually having employees and people who I mean, entire families that the business is is able to support and. Uh, and that's a moment where you're like, wow, we, we've built something that is that is real and that uh, doesn't need necessarily me anymore either, which is which is a pretty pretty insane feeling. Like having a child and then watching them grow up, right? <laughs> essentially, yeah, yeah. And then watching them have children and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, uh, a lot of my friends today have uh, built companies where they don't know all the employees anymore. Uh, I'm not at, at that phase yet where we, we don't know each other. But this is, uh, I like the child analogy for sure. And you're in San Francisco right now. Uh, we're in Santa Monica, so Los Angeles. Yeah, there's a huge health and wellness scene here in LA and a big e-commerce community as well. So it uh, makes a lot more sense than San Francisco, which is very software focused. Yes. Okay, of course. All right. Arthur, thank you for the story. I feel like I'd, I'd love to dive into your ad strategies and I'd love to dive into you know all the steps in the investing as well a bit more. So there's so many layers to all this success. Maybe we can come back and do like a round two when you get to the, the next stage in, in 12 months or something like that. I would be honored to. Okay, let's let's put it in the calendar. Website, so obviously getlambs.com for buying the product. Uh, I know when I shopped, it was underwear for men. I remember seeing beanies or torques as they call them here in Canada for your head pop up, um, women's underwear. You're wearing a t-shirt, so there's uh, clothing apparel. You said this is going to be 
for healthware for anyone who's health conscious or clothing for anyone who's health conscious. I'm assuming socks, underwear, shorts, pants, yoga gear, active wear, everything and anything will eventually will be available on Get Lambs. Is that about right? Yeah, we, we have a lot of products in, in development. It takes a lot of time to develop products because again, like we're really focused on making something, on making products that are truly really exceptional and that people want to share. But we have a bunch of products in, in development. So if you don't find what you're, what you're looking for, feel free to sign up to our mailing list and you'll probably get it uh, at some stage and otherwise uh, shoot me an email at art at getlamps.com uh, that's how i exchange with all our customers so feel free to just shoot me a note and yeah i'll be happy to hear from you. art at getlambs.com fantastic or getlambs.com and look up the contact info arthur thank you for for taking the time and keep up the great work i'd love to see lambs one day maybe ipo that would be a fun thing to see so yeah go for it <laughs> thanks Yara. amazing being on the show really appreciate it and thanks everyone for listening all right i hope you enjoyed that interview with arthur menard i feel like there's going to be a part two very soon do not be surprised if you see on the feed of vested capital a second interview with arthur i felt like i was a little rushed for time i didn't get to ask a few of the questions i wanted to 100% my fault. I had a, another engagement I had to run off to. So I would have loved to have done another extra half an hour. So I'm going to ask Arthur to do a part two and we can dive into a few things around lambs that I didn't get to ask. And also something, he's got some investment strategies that I'd love to talk about too. As a, a fellow angel investor, I never got a chance to ask him about that. So hopefully we'll have him on a part two, but you certainly got a great overview of his life in this part one. I hope you enjoyed that. And especially if you're someone who has an idea for perhaps a new type of product that's not been done before. I think just hearing the insight into how Arthur connected with an inventor, how they got the product made, like the first prototype. And then, of course, the fun story of how they went to the convention CES in Vegas and promoted by wearing the underwear, you know, walking around the convention, which led to a lot of exposure, a lot of new customers. That was a lot of fun to hear as well. If you have a family member or a friend who would benefit from hearing this story from Arthur, Perhaps they're looking to create or invent a new product and uh, build a business around it. Send them to Vested Capital episode 29 to hear Arthur's story. It will possibly lead to a breakthrough, maybe an insight, or at the very least inspire them to get started with their business. And you too should subscribe to Vested Capital using whichever podcast playing app you currently use, whether it's Apple or Google or Spotify or Amazon or Audible all of those devices, all of those apps have the ability to subscribe to a podcast. They'll have a plus button or a follow button or a subscribe button. If you click that while you're listening to Vested Capital, you will get a, a notification and usually a download of every new episode as I release it. Plus, it will unlock all the previous episodes where you can listen into so many amazing stories from other entrepreneurs and successful investors in things like crypto stocks, property, and so on. And of course, if you are an Apple user, I would really appreciate if you hit the review button to leave your review within iTunes for this podcast. That would really help me to rank higher in the rankings within Apple and thus uh, reach more people. And of course, that leads to more great guests, more interviews for you. Okay, going to wrap it up. My name is Yarrow. Thanks for listening to today's episode and I'll speak to you on the next one. Bye-bye.